Uh, a content information for this episode, it contains talk of harm towards children, including physical and sexual themes. There's also mention of suicide. Hey, Martin. Hey, Christina. Hey, I just have a question for you. What are the qualities you're looking for in a really good noise metal band? <laughs> a really good noise metal band is obviously going to be noisy. It's going to be loud. It's going to be harsh. And also probably full of metallic noises. What do you think about that? Clanging, banging, crashing. And it's going to be, I think, probably pretty upsetting to uh, like anyone except the core fans, particularly to old people and small children. To small children, yeah. As a just unrelated follow-up question, do you remember the psychology study with Little Albert? <laughs> I, I do. Uh, I think maybe this is related because I do believe that this was a study that made children sad. It made one child in particular extremely, extremely sad, yes. Uh, it sounds like this might be a depressing episode. It's a little bit sad and a little bit ridiculous. A lot of bit ridiculous. Oh, good. Just like a good noise metal band. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everyone, and welcome to They Did What to What? A virtual journal club where we read the classic psychology studies that have helped to shape the way people think about the way people think. I'm Martin, a former psychology researcher, current uh, professor of communication studies, and that other voice you heard is Christina, a uh, university neuropharmacology researcher. Correct. You have your facts correct. So far. No mistake so far. <laughs> So, do you want to tell us about the study we're reading today? Yeah, so today we're going to be reading an extremely classic way-back study that was published in the Journal of Experimental Psychology in February 1920. The title of the article is Conditioned Emotional Reactions, and it was written by John Watson and Rosalie Rayner. And nice. this article is really interesting because it's the founding of what we would call behaviorism today. Are you familiar with behaviorism? I totally am. So as an undergrad, of course, I was a psychology major. And in particular, I was, I was in the, um, the behavioral, behavioral science, behaviorism uh, uh, um, area. So that was where I actually did my research. And so the name Watson is very familiar to me. Ooh, this is interesting because I know a lot about what happened to him after this article. So I'm interested to hear your opinions and your perceptions of him uh, as we go through everything. Awesome. As I read through the article the first time, I was like, what the fuck is this? What's going on? And then <laughs> I did <laughs> more contextual research. And obviously this article was written over a hundred years ago. And um, it's important to know that at the time, Freudian psychology and unconscious psychology was all the rage. It was everywhere. It was how everything was interpreted. And behaviorism is very stimulus response. So observable, external, um, out in the world stimulus leading to a response in the human as opposed to like your psyche is an iceberg and 95% of it is under the surface. That was the prevailing theory of the time. And behaviorism in 1920 was very new, um, very revolutionary. And this was one of the first studies examining behaviorism in humans, in human subjects, or in one human, little Albert. And that's why this article is still taught in psychology to this day. So behaviorism was, if I remember, yeah, an attempt to like 
rescientize psychology? Like to yes. make it rigorous and falsifiable? Is that right? Or yes. is that something that, that, that got attributed to it after the fact? That's my understanding. And that's part of what Watson was so emphatic about was making it something that was measurable, making it something that you could observe and uh, record reactions to. And um, he was very sincere and uh, specific about this. So he personally dismissed Freud. The article includes a direct taunt to Freud <laughs> and Freudian psychologists included in it, which I have never seen and likely will never see again in the future. <laughs> That's so good. Um, yes, but he was, uh, Watson himself was quite the man, and we'll definitely get into that. But behaviorism itself posits that instead of Freudian psychology, where the basis of everything is sex, Behaviorism posits that there are three primal emotions, rage, fear, and love. And if you can manipulate those with external stimuli, then you can control everything. So if you can control someone's rage response and fear response and love response, you can make them anything. And Watson has a very famous quote about behaviorism and about the study of behaviorism. So I'll read that out. It's a little bit long, but not too long. And he said, quote, Give me a dozen healthy infants, well-formed, and my own specified world to bring them up in, and I'll guarantee to take anyone at random and train him to become any kind of specialist I might select. Doctor, lawyer, artist, merchant, chief, and yes, even beggar man, thief. Regardless of his talents, pensions, tendencies, abilities, vocations, and race of his ancestors. I am going beyond my facts, and I admit it, but so have the advocates of the contrary, and they have been doing it for many thousands of years. End of quote. Is it just me, or does that get a little bit uh, dystopian, evil super scientist? He was, in fact, a real-life dystopian, evil super scientist. <laughs> oh, okay, like, good. For real, absolutely 100%. He lived the life. He did that. Um, so he advocated for behaviorism across his lifetime. He raised all of his children in behaviorism. He wrote uh, parenting books about behaviorism that were adopted and uh, pushed into the population, telling people, raise your children this way. This is the best way. So getting into Watson and Rayner, Watson himself was an up-and-coming, very popular, very handsome professor. He was born in 1878, so he was 42 at the time of the Little Albert paper. Hmm. And Rosalie Rayner was born in 1898. She was 21 to 22 at the time of the Little Albert paper. And Rayner herself, she was from a family that was very prominent um, in politics, and her family donated directly to Johns Hopkins University, where Watson was performing this research, and oh. Rayner was Watson's research assistant. She was a graduate student who was his research assistant. Do you know anything else about Rosalie Rayner? I, I don't, but from the information you just gave me, I have a feeling this might take a weird turn, too. I have such a surprise for you. <laughs> this takes a weird turn. So when Watson and Rayner were working on the Little Albert study, yeah. they were having an affair. Oh. Watson was married. Oh. <laughs> it mean... was the scandal. It's a scandal. It's scandal, scandal. So wait, they were having what? an affair. She wait, was 21. Really? He was 42. It was a big what? scandal. It actually was. Okay. Because I was going to say, I, I, maybe it's better that it was a scandal than if it was just like, oh, yeah, well, obviously he's having an affair with his you know, assistant. Because um, I could see that too. And that would actually be worse, like for the 
discipline if it was just normal. (laughs) Yes. Um, I think it was normal to be having an affair, but the thing that was uh, different was that Watson refused to send her away to Europe to go um, lay in salt rivers for a few years before she came back. He divorced (laughs) his current wife and married her in 1920, the same year that this paper came out. So they were having an affair when they were working on the paper the affair came to public. He refused to send Rainer away. Uh-huh. Um, they got married and they had multiple children and they raised all of their children with behaviorist <laughs> principles. Um, Watson in total had four children, three of whom attempted suicide multiple times and one of whom died of suicide. And oh uh, his children credit a lot of their depression and their mental illnesses to being raised by their strict behaviorist father. I was absolutely blown away when I read that. Um, Watson wrote a book after the Little Albert study came out where he advocated for parents to ignore their crying children so that they wouldn't receive reinforcement that crying was a good thing to do, to not attend to their children overnight, to not play with their children um, all of those sort of things. And it, don't interact with them. Don't play with them. Don't hold them. Don't comfort them. And like, so I remember, so my mom was a, um, a psychology student uh, in the, well, I guess in the, in the seventies and she particularly did child psychology. And so at that point, like a lot of the work that she was doing. Um, so yeah, she, she worked in, in a childcare facility where they were doing some, some research. And a lot of it was basically trying to undo like the vestiges of this kind of thing. She told me about that later that like, yeah, this was, this is what they were trying to fix was this, um, uh, uh, whatever history, trajectory, tradition of, uh, of this kind of, um, Watson was very upset by all the scrutiny and likely would have been very upset by your mom working uh, (laughs) in the opposite direction of the psychological principles that he espoused. Um, So much so that as people tried to document his work and interview him about his work later in life, he got very upset by all the scrutiny and he burned his lab books and his correspondences and his letters and everything so that nobody could sift through everything and scrutinize him so yeah that that's i mean that sounds like a pretty healthy and normal response <laughs> though right that, that, that that's yeah. a healthy response that a healthy person would have to normal yeah. criticism yeah yes yeah he was fired from johns hopkins university in 1920 uh initially when the study was released they gave him a really big raise because they wanted him to stay and do more studies like this and then the scandal came and he got divorced from his wife and married Rosalie Rayner and they moved to New York and he worked in advertising for the rest of his life. So he was uh, working in advertising and came up with um, some coffee slogans, um, but he never did research in the same way that he did for the little Albert. He kept writing books on behaviorism. He kept promoting behaviorism, but he wasn't at a university doing research. So this is his like Big hurrah, this is the big firework, the end of the fireworks show, is this 1920 paper. Wow. You know, I kind of remember that now. I remember hearing this. So in the classes I took uh, that were, uh, you know, the behaviorism classes we took, we obviously talked about Watson, talked about him as kind of the founder of the discipline or the the paradigm, I suppose. And, And they talked about how he became, he went into ads. 
but they really skimmed that other stuff about <laughs> why he left and like the what seems kind of maybe like child abuse and oh, the affair. Oh, it was absolutely child abuse. Okay, yes. yeah, yeah. They they skipped that part. So wow. This actually he just makes decided, a lot more sense. Yeah. Right? He just went into advertising for fun. He just liked advertising. That is literally what we heard. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. This is this is making a lot more sense to me now. <laughs> no, I've been referring to him in my head as Scandal Man whenever I've been thinking <laughs> about him recently. Scandal Man went to New York. Scandal Man got divorced because his life was just scandal, scandal, scandal. And then there's a secret post-mortem sex scandal that we'll talk about after we actually talk about the article. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Okay, so the big question on everyone's mind is who was Albert? Who was this baby? And to this day, it's still a mystery. Um, there have been a few attempts to find little Albert or determine who he was over the years. In the article itself, in the 1920 article, um, they say that little Albert was a child from a wet nurse at the Harriet Lane home for invalid children, and that he was very healthy, he was very happy, he was very emotionally stable. And they said, quote, we felt that we could do him relatively little harm by carrying out such experiments as those outlined below, quote. Uh, oh. So little Albert maybe was an orphan right or maybe his mom was this wet nurse his biological mother was this wet nurse it's not really known right but he was nine months old at the start of the study at 11 months old he um, went through more rounds of the study and then he left the hospital when he was about a year old before the study could be completed and it's not known what happened to him so some people have tried to trace him and say that he died at six years old from encephalitis, hydroencephalitis, yeah. um, which is very sad. But also the alternative is that they that he experienced the phobia they induced in him in this article throughout the rest of his life. Yeah. So I remember when I was taking psychology, my instructor kind of wondered, I wonder if Albert was afraid for years and years and years. Um, right. So it right. what it's still not really known. Did he die at six? Or um, was he afraid of everything forever? So I, it's been a long time since I have done any like human subjects, experimental research. And I guess you don't necessarily do a lot of human stuff either. But like at this point, you would probably re be required to keep records that would allow you to identify the person later, right? Yes and no. Um, there are many faults with the study, and probably the lowest fault is that we don't know who Little Albert <laughs> is anymore. Okay, right? yes. <laughs> I'm being picky over technicalities. So, over Like, the major sins and not being able to identify <laughs> Albert is like a minor sin kind of tucked away in the corner, but every single aspect of this article is just <laughs> beyond the pale, absolutely could not be done today, shouldn't have been done in the first place. No fair reasonable enough. person would have done this. It, just insane. Absolutely insane. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Insane. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they did the studies. Watson specifically wanted to experimentally prove behaviorism. So he had theories about this. He wrote a paper or a treatise on behaviorism in 1913. 
and he wanted to study infants and study children to prove his theories. So he had these theories. He thought about these theories. He hated Freud. He was just <laughs> marinating in his hatred for Freud. Um, so he went to this hospital and started uh, intervening and doing actual interventional experiments on children, on babies, like literal babies. Okay. Okay. Was there a reason he picked babies? Um, he, they talk in the study about the lifespan, but I think they wanted as close to a quote clean slate as possible, right, where right. the baby didn't have. Um, Watson thought that everything was due to the external world; that there's no right. such thing as nature. Everything is nurture. So oh. I think they picked babies so that the babies wouldn't have any underlying fear, underlying rage, underlying right. love, um, right. except for the most core, the most basic reflexes, and then they could manipulate from there. Got it. So in the paper, in the 1920 article, they posited four points. They had four questions. And the first question was, can they condition... Albert to be afraid of a white rat by visually presenting the white rat and simultaneously striking a steel bar. <laughs> That's from the paper. That's what they say. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I mean, I would posit probably yes, but... <laughs> you are correct. Yes, okay. you can. Number two, if such a conditioned emotional response could be established if they could make little Albert afraid of this white bar... Will there be transfer to other animals and other objects? So they showed Albert a whole array of things, and they only they claimed to have only struck the steel bar when they showed him the white rat. And then they wonder, would that fear transfer to other objects, other animals, other things that they showed him? Do you remember what the qualities... I'm setting you up because I have an answer and I know all the answers, but do you remember <laughs> the qualities of the things that little Albert was afraid of? Much like the other articles we're talking about, this is something that I absolutely never read, but heard retold at least, you know, three, four times uh, over the course of my education. Um, so I, I, I remember at least once being told that he feared anything that was white, maybe, at a certain point. Yes, that's what I was told, too. Yeah, um, and maybe things that were fuzzy, I can't remember. Yes, so okay. I was told by my instructor that little Albert was afraid of things that were white, because he was shown a white rat, and mm. then my instructor said he was shown a white bunny, a white dog, a white coat, all of these mm -hmm. things. And I remember the rest of my day going around and seeing white things and wondering, <laughs> would Albert have been afraid of that? Would Albert have been afraid of that? The yeah, word yeah. white only appears in the article directly in front of rat. Oh, okay. Also, interestingly enough, I didn't know this until I went back to read it. Uh, they made films. They made motion picture studies Whoa. of Albert's emotional responses before and after they didn't right. film themselves striking the steel bar. <laughs> Probably good. Um, they skipped, obviously, the very upsetting part. I don't know if they didn't film it or if they just didn't release it, but you can go on right. YouTube right now today and watch video that they made of little Albert interacting with the rat before and interacting with the rat oh, wow. after. 
um, and we can talk about that later as well, but uh, none of the other objects or animals were white except for the Santa Claus mask. So, <laughs> God. <laughs> <laughs> imagining imagining a 1920s Santa Claus mask. I imagine yes, this would be terrifying. Yes, it's horrifying. It's <laughs> horrifying. It's absolutely horrifying. And they claim, oh, obviously Albert is afraid of the Santa Claus mask because it is white. And I'm like, no, it's a terrifying mask. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay. So transfer was their second question. Can the fear of the white rat be transferred to other things? For example, a Santa, a 1920s Santa Claus mask. Number three question is what was the effect of time upon such a conditioned emotional response? So if Albert was afraid on Monday, would he also be afraid the next Monday and the next Monday and the next Monday? Or would sure. it extinguish? Uh-huh. And then number four, if it didn't extinguish, what laboratory methods can we devise so that we can remove this fear from little Albert? So they viewed themselves as sort of like surgeons of first let's implant the fear and then we can totally just remove the fear if we want to. So if I'm just reading this as like experimental design perspective, this seems okay. They're like, can we no. do the thing? Can we? Do- no, no. I mean, if, if, if we take out of it yes, the I idea agree, that this is being done to a, chi- a human child, this all seems, this makes sense. If you have divorced yourself from the humanity of the <laughs> participant in this study. If you don't care about babies, then that, yes, that, you That's can exactly, do. Yeah, but, but that's what's so striking about it is like, I'm like now imagining what attitude you have to have toward this poor this this poor little Albert in order for this to make sense. And I think I gotta say, all that he cared about was himself beating Freud. He just wanted to be better than Freud. <laughs> so what you're saying is that maybe a little bit of psychoanalysis might have prevented all of this horror. Yes, if he had gone to Freud and said, Freud, why am I competing with you? Freud would have said, oh, penis envy, obviously, and solved everything. <laughs> So step one, can you condition a fear of an animal? The answer is yes. So what they did was they first showed little Albert all of these different objects. They showed him blocks. They showed him a white rat, a rabbit, a dog, a monkey, masks with and without hair, cotton wool, burning newspapers. They burned newspapers what? What? in front of this child. <laughs> and he wasn't afraid of it, they say. Um, Whoa, wait, Seriously? That's what they say. They claim that not a single thing that they showed him at the beginning struck fear in him, including burning newspapers and <laughs> the mask, the masks, which I don't believe. They don't show that in the videos. Um, they just show him interacting with like the animals in the videos. But I, Yeah, I'm kind of taking back my, my statement then about the experimental design here because like, okay, presumably if I'm doing this, again, assuming that... God, yeah, I'm putting myself in the position of this again, baby abuser. Um, <laughs> but or, or imagine that I'm doing this, let's say, to a um, in silico. Just say in silico. How about ooh, that? Ooh, what does that mean? In computers, you're doing a computer great research. Yeah, that's a computers. great word. Thank you. Yes. yes. Okay, I'm doing the study in silico. I want to start with neutral stimuli, right? I don't want stimuli that are inherently frightening, but 
they don't establish that these stimuli are not inherently frightening. And in fact, some of these should be frightening. And that makes me think that their participant is responding in an unexpected and maybe atypical way. There has been speculation that little Albert was living in the hospital for the first year of his life because he had that he had some sort of developmental delay that is speculation so i cannot confirm that right um but there are people who claim especially retro- retroactively that yeah. little albert wasn't a quote unquote normal child um and that's why one that's why they chose him for the study but probably right. they chose him to the study just because they had access to him and they could take him away from his mother without scrutiny into what are you doing to my child Right, which, which, um, which in itself, unfortunately, given the state of you know, care for disabled children, might reinforce the notion that Albert was in some ways, you know, um, atypical or, or, or disabled. Yes, and his mother was given $1 for his participation. Oh. And again, the wet nurse, oh, I don't I feel so know much. if she's his biological mother or um, adopted mother. Or if he was living in the hospital and he was an orphan, but she was paid one dollar. I feel him. so much worse that she was paid one dollar than if she was not compensated at all. Yes, exactly. Like, it's like they threw a quarter at her forehead and they're like, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I feel so much worse about that. I don't like this. <laughs> it gets worse. So buckle buckle up, buttercup. <laughs> they showed all of the neutral, quote-unquote, neutral stimuli. And then they asked the question, can we condition little Albert to be afraid of a white rat? They made the sound by suspending a steel bar that was four feet long and three-fourths of an inch in diameter, and they hit it behind little Albert. So it wasn't just when little Albert saw the rat, but when they put the rat near little Albert... And he reached towards the rat to engage with the rat or manipulate the rat or feel the rat in some way. Then they struck the bar. And they did that multiple times. And obviously little Albert started. uh, He started breathing differently. He was very upset. Um, The third time they struck the bar, he started crying. And they say this is the first time that Albert was emotional, was the third time that they struck the bar. Right. And for the principles of behaviorism, Watson had two methods that he thought would directly access fear in children. One was a very sudden loud noise, and the other was removal of support. So his alternative method that he also tried many times on Little Albert was to jerk the blanket that Little Albert was sitting on out from underneath him. So Little Albert was sitting on a blanket. Yeah. And they would show the rat and they tried to jerk the blanket so that little Albert would lose the support from underneath himself oh. and fall over. Oh. And they, in other children, that worked. But right. in little Albert, it was only the loud noise. Which means that Watson is fully giving children traumatic brain injuries. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like 100%. I know in my heart that these children had traumatic brain injuries <clears throat> yeah. that they suffered with for the rest of their life because he was continuously toppling them over from a blanket and they were falling over. And that was his intent was to have them suddenly fall over. This is wow. I, I, I don't like any of this. I got to say, 
I don't approve. <laughs> um, but this might comfort you. In the article, Watson wrote, quote, At first, there was considerable hesitation upon our part in making the attempt to set up fear reactions experimentally. A certain responsibility attaches to such a procedure. We decided finally to make the attempt comforting ourselves by the reflection that such attachments would arise anyway as soon as the child left the sheltered environment of the nursery for the rough and tumble of the home, end quote. So he's like, well, little Albert's going to be afraid of stuff anyway. It doesn't matter if we make him afraid of stuff. If he goes to the world, the world will make him afraid of stuff. So we might as well get some data out of it. Once again, I feel way worse about the fact that they're like, we felt bad about hurting him, but then we were like, we can justify it. If they were just, <laughs> if they just didn't think of it, I, again, it's, it's, this is a very low bar, but like somehow it seems, seems better if they just like don't recognize his humanity as opposed to, oh yeah, he's a human and we're hurting him, but like, it's okay. It's fully the evil villain sitting at the table, like petting a cat, being like, well, it doesn't matter what I do. The world's right. evil anyway. Oh, my God. So right. I might as well make money. And this um, is only experiment in, one. Great. <laughs> yes, this is experiment one. Uh, a hilarious, actually genuinely hilarious side note about experiment one is that they experimented with different sounds, with different clangings. They thought they had to repeat the conditioning process multiple times. For little Albert, they did over seven stimulations of just the sound with the rat. Oh. But they posited in the paper that if they had a stronger, more complex clanging, that they only would have had to do that to him once because it would have been so much more fearful. So they were experimenting with noise metal, genuinely, of what the correct combination of clangs would be like, to make children afraid. <laughs> Once again, if the goal here wasn't to injure a child, this could be like legitimately interesting research into like <laughs> emotional impact of different complex atonal sounds. In fact, that, yes. that itself would have been cutting-edge research at the time. They could have been the greatest avant-garde music duo. <laughs> they, they, they would have been 40 years ahead of the curve and could have been revolutionizing music that wouldn't show up. They would up have been in, huge in Japan, they, just they, absolutely uh, monstrously huge. In the 90s, Japanese kids would be like, yeah, pulling up their albums and like just, yeah. It would have been the thing. But like, yeah, they're doing this in order to... To prove their pet theories. To own Freud. No, to own Freud. That's what... To po- yeah, to PWN, pwn Freud. In the face. <laughs> and like, honestly, that was... There's like bits of that attitude that seem to still inhere in uh, the behavioral psychologists when I was in college mm-hmm. too. I, not I, certainly, I'm not suggesting that they. It was to the point where they were going to torture a child about it, right? But there was still this sort of um, just, just bitterness toward Freud, toward clinical psychology in general, um, mm-hmm. and really this focus on the fact that it again it didn't have this kind of cold, rigorous uh, falsifiability to it. And on some level, again, I, it feels like that's actually part of the problem. They've, they've, they've operationalized this child out of his humanity. Yes. They can't 
see that the child is a child. Yeah. They don't even have the idea in their mind that they could be doing long-term unremovable harm, unfixable harm, untreatable harm to this child. Absolutely. And it didn't even, they, yeah, they said multiple times that little Albert was so strong that it wouldn't matter that this stuff would happen to him anyway. If we wanted to, we could remove the fear conditioning just because we're so good. Like it's, yeah, the attitude is just bizarre and horrific and so pompous. As much it's as so a, pompous, right? Yeah, as much of a creep as Freud was, like I think he at least had an understanding of the humanity of the people he was treating. Um, yes, let's not establish ourselves as hardcore Freudians. No, we're not hardcore Freudians. <laughs> <laughs> but Jungians but, are bust. <laughs> Jungian are nothing. <laughs> Yes, we're going to come out as big Jordan Peterson stands here. Oh, God. <laughs> oh. Gag me with a spoon. <laughs> so phase two of the study was seeing if they could, if the fear itself as induced by the pairing of the loud sound with the rat, if that fear that little Albert started showing every time the rat was presented to him, if that would be transferred to other animals. So phase two question was if the conditioned emotional response can be established, which they did establish it, will there be transferred to other animals or objects? And this part of the video that you can find, like I said, on YouTube is wild because it's certainly a laboratory rabbit, a laboratory monkey, Watson in a mask, but all of the animals the monkey and the dogs have harnesses on them and Watson is holding the harness and shoving the animal as close as possible to little Albert and the animals don't want to be there. They're right. trying to get away. They're trying to escape from the situation. So they're flailing. Right. They're moving around and Watson is dragging the animals by harnesses onto physically onto little Albert. And then phase two of the article is just lists of We showed little Albert this, he reacted in this way. We showed little Albert this, he reacted in this way. And they did this multiple sessions over a few weeks. Okay. Um, So they showed him blocks, and blocks were their neutral stimulus. Uh, Little Albert really liked to play with blocks, so he would always, always, always play with the blocks. He was never afraid of the blocks. They showed him the rats again, and he was afraid of the rats Right. Um, he would try and move away from the rats. He'd try and crawl away from the rats. They showed a dog, which was not a white dog. It was a dark fur dog. Okay. okay. And little Albert tried to crawl away. Okay. They showed him a fur coat. It was not a white fur coat. My professor uh, said a white fur coat. I it was that not too. a white fur coat. Yeah. Yep. It was a seal fur coat. Oh. There certainly are white seals, but this was not a white fur coat. And little Albert tried to crawl away and cry. One thing that's really missing, again, if we're criticizing this study, is they don't have any discussion about if little Albert was afraid of the situation in general or if he was afraid of the people who were showing him right. these things. Right. So Watson and Rayner were the people doing, sitting next to him and doing the manipulations. And they were also physically there when the bar was struck. Right. Uh, Watson was striking the bar, I believe, and Rayner was sitting right next to him. Right. But they don't say ever that little Albert sought comfort in either person, 
which makes me think that little Albert was just afraid of also the people that right. he was with and the environment that he was with. Right. And like of all of the stimuli, really Watson and Rainer were the ones to be afraid of. Like they, they were oh, actually, the, they were yes. actually the problem. So little Albert, little Albert would be correct if that actually yes. was what he was doing. <laughs> He was very in tune with what was happening. Yeah. He was afraid of the correct people. He was afraid all the time um, from all these stimuli. Yeah. And like I said, only really the blocks. And they also showed him cotton wool wrapped in a package. And they made a really big deal that little Albert would touch the newspaper side of the package, but that he was afraid of the wool side of the package, that he tried okay. to kick away the wool because the wool is white and looks like a rat, but the packaging doesn't look like a rat. Therefore, the fear generalized to the cotton, but not to the newspaper. Oh, it's very bizarre. Okay, kind of. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> they also did the Santa Claus mess. They, uh, Watson put the Santa Claus 1920s, absolutely <laughs> horrifying Santa Claus mask on his face and shoved his face as close as possible to little Albert. And little Albert tried to move away from Watson in the Santa Claus mask. And they interpret that as obviously his fear of the rat has transferred to being afraid of a Santa Claus mask. And I don't think either you or I actually believe <laughs> that that's what happened versus Albert was afraid of a man in a mask getting very, very close to him. Okay, I have just looked up this Santa Claus mask and this is straight up the mask. This is a murderer. There's just no, it's a murder mask. Th yes. There are no two ways about it. This is in every '80s horror movie. Just, just, <laughs> just, just think, think about the mask. This, this is Michael Myers with a beard. Like, yes. it, th this is the worst. So, yeah, I don't think we need to make any assertions about transference here. I think, no. <laughs> I, I think once again, little Albert is just correct. Here's He's an, correct. He's very in tune with his surroundings. He knows that a man approaching you in a Santa Claus <laughs> horror murder mask means that you should try to remove yourself from that man. And that's what he tried to do. It seems like they didn't make any attempt to find stimuli that were actually neutral. Um, and, and as you're pointing out, they also didn't make any attempt to make sure that the experimenters themselves were neutral. So they've yes. just got, I can't, okay, one, I, I'm back here to like nitpicking like the, the, the technical problems <laughs> with, again, this instance of absolute child torture. Um, but like, this isn't even good, this isn't even a good experiment. This is, there are, no. there are so many like, you know, mitigating variables here. Yes, and they wanted behaviorism to be true. And if you were doing this study for real, you should have people doing the observations that don't know what little Albert was conditioned to right, be afraid of right. recording yeah. his reactions. But it was incredibly obvious from reading every single line. Most of the paper is just, we showed Albert this, he reacted in this way. We showed Albert this, right. he reacted in this way. And all of them are emphasizing how afraid Albert was of furry things that uh -huh. looked like animals yeah. and not afraid of blocks <laughs> and over and over again. But also they say in the paper itself that Albert didn't remain afraid of the rat. Uh, Albert's reactions to the rat decreased over time. So they decided to quote, freshen up the reaction oh, by another no. joint stimulation. So over the additional weeks that they were testing experimenting on little albert he didn't react strongly to the rat right. which should disprove 
their theory. But instead, they just attributed that obviously to the clangs weren't clangy enough of the metal stimulation. It was a weak clanging. So we had to freshen up the reaction. So they kept over and over again over weeks clanging the metal bar every time. And little Albert became more neutral towards the rat where he wouldn't try to reach towards it. Right. Um, so they had to physically move the rat onto little Albert. So they would move the rat onto little Albert and then hit the bar. So like there was no. Well, that Yeah. It, which again, just obviously seems like a different condition because. Yes. I'm, I'm seeing in the beginning that they were only clanging when he reached toward it. And at that point, what they're trying to do is condition his they're making a stimulus in response to his behavior, not just yes. in response to the presence of this rat. And eventually yes. what they do is they make it so he doesn't do that behavior anymore, but they want him to keep being afraid of it. And Right, and he stops directly manipulating things himself. So a lot of the description is we put the cotton physically onto his hands or we put the monkey physically directly onto him. So they removed from him even the option of choosing to explore or not explore. Right, which once again seems to run counter to what they say they're trying to do because at that point, yeah. they're, they, are, they have this kind of construction of his fear as an internal, uninvestigatable sort of thing that they would have crit- criticized uh, you know, introspectionist or a Freudian for, Right. <laughs> Because because yeah. they actually aren't seeing any empirically observable behavior anymore, so they have they're imputing his lack of fear and then trying to compensate for it. Rather than if we were doing this, what what was your term again? In silico. In silico. If they're doing in silico. Right at that point, what what you what you ought to have determined at this point is that oh wow, our data suggests that we have actually caused him to stop reaching for it, and that is an interesting observation to make. That's an interesting conclusion to have reached, but it's not the conclusion they were trying to reach. So they ended up undermining their actual theory. But they don't acknowledge that. They just say, oh, we freshened the response. And this part, the next part is what was the most surprising to me because in all of the times I've heard about the study, I have never heard of this. They initially say that little Albert was afraid of the rabbit and of the dog. And again, those were situations where the rabbit and the dog were dragged to be directly on top of little Albert right. so that he would interact with them. But he stopped showing a fear response to those when they moved to a different setting. Mm. So they paired the steel bar sound right. with the rabbit and with the dog. So they didn't even only condition little Albert to the rat. Right. They conditioned little Albert to the rat and to the rabbit and to the dog because he wasn't as afraid as they thought that he should have been. What? So the study isn't even about what people say it's about. Oh my God. They conditioned him to be afraid of many things, not just the rat that generalized. He was conditioned to everything. He's conditioned to multiple things. It like when I read that, I was like, why did no professor <laughs> actually read this study? Why did right, nobody read the study right. before they start presenting the study? Right. The study's not that long. Right. It's eight pages, and it's written in the way that old-timing studies are written, <laughs> where it's very descriptive. There's a lot of like personal information. Right. 
they tell you what they had to drink that day. Like, <laughs> it's not a dense study. There's not figures. Just read the paper before you try to teach me about this paper. I was so mad. I was like, no, obviously nobody reads anything anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, and I mean, again, that was kind of the premise of this whole this whole show is that we've, of course, heard about these studies so many times. And this one in particular is venerated as the birth of behaviorism. But right. Yeah, it, it's evident that either the people who are teaching this haven't actually read it. If they did read it, they would it would be impossible to miss just the grave errors in it, both experimentally, not to mention, more importantly, morally. Yeah. When it's presented, they don't talk about how horrifying it yeah. is. They just say, oh, little Albert was afraid of white things. Yeah. Wasn't that funny? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So either they, they, either they didn't read it and don't know this, or maybe more horrifyingly, they also don't care. But again, I, it seems more likely, as you're saying, that they just didn't read it because it doesn't even hold up to basic scrutiny. Your your yeah. your first year uh, psychology research class would say, "Excuse me, I have some questions." And I wonder why people don't do that who are teaching this. I wonder why this isn't taught in like experimental design courses. As here's a study, tell me everything that's wrong with right. the study from like the human subjects research aspect right. to the experimental design aspect to the right. data analysis aspect right. to the data acquisition aspect, like. Every single step was wrong. Everything was wrong. <laughs> this is just a bad study. <laughs> it's horrific. It's one of the worst studies I've ever read in my life. Wow. Um, for point number two, the question being, does fear generalize to other objects or animals? Their results, their conclusion, they're patting themselves on the back. They're popping bottles of champagne. <laughs> their conclusion is... From the above results, it would seem that emotional transfers do take place. And remember, they had to directly condition little Albert to both the rabbit and the dog because he wasn't afraid enough. And their conclusion is, oh, absolutely, we did a great job. Like, give us a gold medal. We disproved everything. We proved behaviorism. We did a great job. Like, oh, my God. That, oh. it's, <laughs> this is fully hundreds of years after the scientific method has been formalized. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a study from 1612. Like this <laughs> I'm genuinely so curious about the actual process of publication of this because it's one it's one subject, little Albert, right. and they had four questions and they only answered three of them. <laughs> And they published it in this journal, and this journal is still around today. But why did the journal read this? Was it not peer-reviewed? Like, why did the journal read this? Where's Reviewer 2 when you need them? Where's Reviewer 2? <laughs> in Phase 3, um, their question was, how long would this fear last? So would this fear extinguish by itself? Would this fear last forever? If this fear is moved to a different physical location, would that impact the fear? That sort of thing. But wait a minute. Um, Did, so, didn't they already establish that it does dissipate? Didn't did, wasn't that part of phase two? Um, no, that wasn't part of phase two because they just made him more fearful. Again, <laughs> they just reapplied. They refreshed 
They refreshed the fear of response. I see. So, 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 so doesn't w- matter. That doesn't even matter. <laughs> I don't know why you would think that would matter. What a what a bizarre statement that you've made. No, that's true. I am not the <laughs> the brilliant and handsome Doctor Watson. So yeah, <laughs> silly me for. <laughs> If he okay. heard you say that, he would probably just think, yes, I am brilliant. And like, he would not understand any level of irony, anything below being told. Dr. Watson, you're so handsome. I, I want to attribute to him the fact that uh, he could understand sarcasm. Uh, let, let, <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 that's that's my petty revenge on him for like we can't make him actually mean. we can't actually make him pay for his crimes here but we can we can besperge his name in the in the silliest pettiest way possible Fake. i heard just a few days ago that dr watson never understood sarcasm did you hear that have you heard of this <laughs> subtly undermining him <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's the best we can hope for. All right. So, okay. So given that we don't yet know whether these responses dissipate over time, even though they kind of already totally did, how did, how did they study this in phase three of their study? So in phase three, they bring up that they know that Albert would be leaving the hospital. So they couldn't do the full experiment as they intended to do. Um, he had a date that he was leaving. So they sort of switched from assessing him for mostly fear responses to seeing if he was left or right-handed to assessing his general health to um, like, I'm assuming weighing him so they could say he weighed this amount, but they knew (laughs) that the end was in sight. So they couldn't do everything that they wanted to do. Um, But they did a few more rounds of testing if he was still afraid of things, including this goddamn Santa Claus mask. (laughs) Watson put the mask on again, put his face really, really close to little Albert. Little Albert didn't reach out to touch the mask, so they physically put little Albert's hands on the mask multiple times over and over again. They just made him touch the Santa Claus mask. Oh and like, God. that's the most fear inducing part. Like forget the steel beam, forget everything else. If a professor of psychology forces me to touch his Santa Claus mask, I will be afraid of that for the rest of my life. Like that's behaviorism in action. We've proven behaviorism. The key is Santa Claus masks. Just out of curiosity, you, you said that they, in addition, they, they kind of weighed him, checked his health, his handedness. Do you have any, because I've read some other kind of old stuff, and they seem really obsessed with knowing they whether someone is right or so left-handed. Obsessed. Yes. Do you know that what that's old, about? I think it's the old colloquialism of like left-handed people, their brains are all messed up, their brains are backwards, uh, <laughs> they are deviants, they don't know how to exist in society. Like if little Albert was left-handed, they would have thrown out the entire experiment because they would have been like, oh, obviously this baby's already messed up. Like... <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I, I this is just thing that stuck with me reading some old stuff. Yeah. It's like they're always checking their handedness. Like this is an important. Not to say that we probably don't measure some nonsense. I'm sure we now measure everyone's IQ or something, which is I don't know, probably only barely more more valid than handedness. But yes, I disagree that IQ is valid. So we can fight about that later if you want. No, but, <laughs> that, that's why that's why I said only barely, if at all. Yes. Like you know, I would it, say that handedness is more valid than IQ because at least you know that left-handed people have to exist in a society that is not built for left-handedness. This is so entirely they, true. 
yes, yep. so frustrated on a daily basis. <laughs> I, I, I also no. am highly skeptical <laughs> of things like IQ. And, and in fact, that was one of the things I actually did get out of my psychology degree was a really, they, they did try to instill a healthy skepticism of basically any um, psychological uh, theory. Um, yeah. one, one instructor in particular who, who taught psychometrics um, was just really big into, hey, you know that theory building is just, a wild venture where you're making stuff up, right? <laughs> and it was You can just say anything. You can just say anything. And it's being assessed on this kind of crude aesthetic level. Um and it was it was it was very eye-opening. So, yes, uh I, but and I always try to temper that though when when I'm reading these old articles cuz I don't want to just kind of throw them out out of hand, whether that is a right or left hand. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, they didn't note for little Albert's hand responses whether he tried to reach with his right or left hand. They didn't say if little Albert was right or left-handed. So obviously the entire experiment is ruined. It's ruined. I get once again, just like basic stuff that you would write down. Like <laughs> whether it's useful, you don't know if it's useful or not. But like just having those data and reporting them is just a thing. I I would deduct points from my undergraduate student if they didn't do that, right? Just like write it down, record the Watson data. Watson is fully reincarnated as one of your undergraduate that, students right now. Oh my god, that that is totally <laughs> a, this. This is such a this is so much a sloppy undergrad experiment. Oh my it god, it is yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so what else happened in experiment three here? So they concluded from this experiment um, that the experiments show conclusively, conclusively, that directly <laughs> conditioned emotional responses, as well as those conditioned by transfer, persist, although with a certain loss of intensity of the reaction for a period longer than a month. So little Albert was coming back roughly once a week for okay. these assessments. Um, and they say it lasted longer than a month. Therefore, we have conclusively shown directly conditioned emotional responses. Okay. Okay. Sh- sure. Um. Sure. Yep. <laughs> Whatever you say, Dr. Handsome, Dr. Watson. We uh, yeah. take you at your word. Uh, I mean, at this point, right, like I can barely fight with him. Um, he's just done so much heinous stuff that, yeah, like the, at this point, yeah, the technicalities of the, of his bad study are just like such a low level concern. Like, okay, fine. Yes. And brace yourself because number four, even though they didn't do it, I'm extremely thankful that they didn't do it because it, what they described as what they would have done is horrifying, Wait, absolutely horrifying. And, and this is the one where they were going to take the fear away, though. Like, this actually should yes. be their chance for redemption. It should. It should. You would hope that for a reasonable person, they could redeem themselves. But yes. they did not. So they said that little Albert was taken away from the hospital, so they couldn't um, do any work or any efforts to remove the conditioned fear that persisted for longer than a month. Okay. Um, they say, quote, hence the opportunity of building up an experimental technique by means of which we could remove the conditioned emotional response was denied to us. So they were denied the, oppor- the noble opportunity to remove these emotional responses. Okay. And they say the responses were likely to persist indefinitely in his home environment unless his guardians accidentally stumbled upon a method for removing the fear. 
But in a truly horrifying content warning, like sexual themes surrounding children, they speculated on four processes by which they could have removed the conditioned fear response. Okay. So number one was constantly confronting the child with the stimuli. So basically deconditioning by just showing him the rat over and over and over again. And likely based on what they showed that this would, this would work. Because uh, little Albert became less emotional at the sight of the rat over right. time that they had to freshen right. his emotional response. Likely number one would have worked. But not even likely. Like it just did. Like they actually demonstrated yeah. that that did work. Yes. Okay. Cool. <laughs> cool. Number two. I'm going to read directly from the paper. By trying to recondition... By showing the objects, calling out the fear responses, so showing little Albert the rat yeah. visually, and then simultaneously stimulating the erogenous zones tactual. We would try first the lips, then the nipples, and as a final result, the sex organs. Oh! So Watson and Rayner are fully calling for sexual assault of a child under one year old. Wow. Just straight up. Just yeah. in plain language, straight up, show a rat and then stimulate him tactually. So, like, and, 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 and they wrote this down. And they then, wrote it down. And then showed it to like other people. To the whole world. And Watson received a raise for having <sighs> written this. Yeah, no, you're right. It's a good thing they didn't get to this phase of the study. I am extremely grateful that they did not get to this phase of the study. Oh, my God. So that was their second speculation. Their third was trying to recondition him by feeding him candy every time he saw the rat. So see the rat, get a piece of candy. See the rat, get a piece of candy. Why is that after... The sexual Just assault. give the child candy. Yeah, give the child candy. Why are we sexually assaulting children? Just give the child candy or or don't do the study in the first place. Like Yes. <laughs> assuming assuming we're doing a simulation here and not dealing with an actual human being. You obviously go for the least invasive intervention first, right? Like mm -hmm. again, just just oh F, my god. F minus. F oh. minus minus. Number four, their fourth method for how to decondition the fear response from little Albert was by building up constructive activities around the object or by putting his hands through the motion of manipulation. So already they were physically putting little Albert's hand on the rat because he was choosing not to manipulate the rat or touch the rat. So their fourth method of deconditioning was just we physically place little Albert's hand on the rat over and over again. So those were their four wait, deconditioning speculations. Oh, but wait, now I'm confused again because this fourth one. Makes You're thinking like a human person <laughs> and not an insane scientist man. So put on your insane scientist man hat and number four will make perfect sense because obviously when they were previously putting little Albert's hand on the rat, that was for him being afraid of the rat. But yes. because now they switched to deconditioning, obviously, but, obviously, it will decondition him. Putting his hand is but, but, okay. Yeah, okay, right. I'm, I'm going to think like a... Like a, a Get like, a physical hat and put it on your head and be a mad scientist. Just an awful, evil, mad scientist. And this will make perfect assuming sense. Assuming I'm amoral and evil. Even then, though, we have a problem. Because... 
we've we've ne- we're switching just you back are still and forth competent between <laughs> you're being amoral evil and competent can you try just for me just for one second to be amoral evil and incompetent just try that one out the the problem is they're swapping between this idea of fear and the actual empirically observable motion yes. so because again they have already deconditioned the touching or was that the, that was is is the, is the child reaching out to touch the rat what they conditioned or what they deconditioned because they have already trained the child to not do that and through these first, so, through these first three things they seem to be trying to remove to decondition the fear but in this fourth one they're trying to decondition the aversion to touching and they're just swapping between those two this kind of yes. internal speculative emotional introspective even non-behaviorist um, kinds of kinds of observations but then in number 4 here they're going back to that observable measurable um presumably behaviorist move, but it's so muddled by the rest of it that even if I am an evil, barely competent (laughs) behaviorist trying to prove behaviorism, I would want to deal with this problem because this is actually getting in the way of my evil plan to make behaviorism (laughs) seem like it's not just monstrosity. So, Martin, your (laughs) end goal is to make sense, right? (laughs) Yes, yeah. You have the goal and the desire of saying words that make sense, right? Yeah, no, that's that's fair. Can yeah. you try saying words that will make you money and you'll be a hotshot? Try that out. Oh my god! It, right? Yeah, I just had not paid attention to just how devoid of any kind of intellectual rigor this was. This, I, I thought at least there would be some sort of attempt at internal consistency, even if it is just unconscionable in the world outside of their lab. But this doesn't even make sense within the lab. Yes. How bizarre that a person who would torture a child wouldn't do a good job, wouldn't fully think through what they're doing. How weird. How bizarre. (laughs) The fact that they're not even good evil scientists is... Yeah, they're they're incompetent evil Uh, evil scientists. This is... Um, An important uh, observation that they made in the paper is that babies experience rage and little Albert, to comfort himself on occasion, would suck his thumb. Um, And they described denying access to a baby of the ability to suck their own thumb would induce rage and thrashing in the baby. So as part of just an offhand note in the paper, they describe doing similar types of work on babies as young as 10 days old, and that in order to see a fear response from these babies, that they had to prevent the baby from being able to put their own thumb in their mouth. Oh, okay. So little Albert wasn't the only child that Watson and Rayner experimented upon. Little Albert is just the only one with a full, complete publication. But they offhand mention, oh, we're also studying fear in 10-day-old babies. We're studying fear over here. We see this rage response in 10-day-old babies. But they don't say what fear they're trying to induce. They don't say anything of what they do to the 10-day-old babies, except that in order to see a fear response, they have to prevent the baby from sucking their thumb so, so and i don't know that they ever published anything about that so, so this is just a side anecdote proving that they are willing to torture babies even younger than albert 
Yes. Just, just in case you were uh, worried that they that they had a limit. No, no. Yes. As young as 10 days old, they're willing to induce rage and fear in. Okay. Yes. Good. Um, so Watson believed very strongly that the root of everything was love, uh, rage, and fear. Yes. So um, it was just bolstering his point or proving behaviors and proving that he was right about the root of everything that the core emotion of rage in babies could block the other core emotion that was fear. So you see these two emotions very strongly in 10-day-old babies. Therefore, the handsome (laughs) Dr. Watson is right about behaviorism. And it's so wild, too, that on some level, this is just like, how is this not just a different version of Freudianism? Freudianism. We've got this tri- oh. this tripartite <laughs> model that is like baked in from a very young age, like so just relabeled Freud with more child abuse? Uh, yeah, it's kind of weird because he tries to make himself so distinct from Freud, but um, in the paper directly, he has this quote taunting Freud that I will read to you. Quote, the Freudians 20 years from now, unless their hypotheses change... When they come to analyze Albert's fear of a seal skin coat, assuming that he comes to analysis at that age, will probably tease from him the recital of a dream upon which their analysis will show that Albert, at three years of age, attempted to play with the pubic hair of the mother and was scolded violently for it. So he's saying that Freudians will say that Albert has a repressed memory of a sexual encounter with his mother in which he was scolded. Yes. (laughs) And that's why he's afraid of fur. And it's not even that his mother was wearing a sealskin coat. It's that he was playing with his mother's pubic hair in the Freudian vision. Yeah, yeah. Nice burn there, Watson. Yeah, Freudians think sex is important. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's so bizarre because, uh, like you said, for behaviorism, he wanted to use sexual stimuli yeah. and sexual touch. Right. Yeah. To, um, to decondition. To decondition. But the other thing, uh, so Watson was having an affair with Rainer at the time that they were working with Little Albert, and right. at the time they wrote this, and one of the f- one of the only footnotes of this paper is in reference to sexual stimulus. Oh, no. And he says, yeah, right? Yeah, like, it's just this thinking, like, oh, God, oh. dude, really? <laughs> oh, he good, said, we have some evidence being showing up here. We've got a footnote that might clarify some of this stuff. Oh, no, yes. it just makes it worse. Cool. It makes it much worse. The stimulus to love in infants, according to our view, is stroking of the skin, lips, Nipples and sex organs, padding and rocking, picking up, etc. Padding and rocking, when not conditioned, are probably equivalent to actual stimulation of sex organs. In adults, of course, as every lover knows, Uh. vision, audition, and olfaction soon become conditioned by joint stimulation with contact and kinesthetic stimuli. Okay. 
So he's saying that in babies, if you stroke the lips of a baby, it's basically the same thing as having sex with your lover. And you having sex with your lover, you like it because you're conditioned to like it. Right. Because conditioning. Right. That's so bizarre. Such a strange man. I can't believe that they were having an affair. <laughs> <laughs> and they wrote this paper and they included that in the paper? This, yeah. What? <laughs> what? How again are you different than Freud? Like, what are you trying to do? Oh, you just want to be cool like him. So you're going to use all the things he used and just relabel it. Like, it makes sense he went into advertising now, I guess. Like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> how, do, how do I make my thing seem better, even though it's literally the same and actually probably 10 times worse? Um Yes. But then also, this is another, that footnote indicates a thing that he is interested in that he could actually maybe do a study on that wouldn't be horrific. Do some studies. <gasps> Should we jump to the sex scandal? Okay. Is yeah. this a perfect segue to the sex scandal? Yeah. Because I was going to say, like, you could do sex studies on adults that would be, like, useful and worthwhile. And again, not things that should literally be crimes or that are literally crimes. If you, <laughs> that if, are literal crimes. If, they if, are currently actively not, crimes. Yeah, but, but that he was somehow was not criminalized for, um, you know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so let's, okay. let's hear about the sex. So scandal. putting aside the conclusion of the paper, the paper's yeah. all done. He claims that he proved behaviorism. Oh he proved God. air conditioning. He proved all of that. <laughs> oh my just, God. We're just going to accept that so we can get <laughs> sure. to the sex I scandal. I don't want to fight with him anymore. Jesus. Yeah, fine. Well, he's your reincarnated <laughs> student now, so you're going to fight with him all semester. It's fine. So, post-mortem sex scandal. Watson was fired following the publication of the article. First, Johns Hopkins University gave him a big raise because they were like, oh, what a great article this is. Please don't leave us to go to a different university. Here's some more money. And then it was revealed that Watson and Rayner were having an affair and... Um, Watson refused to send Rainer away, so he was fired instead of having to live through the scandal. Yeah. Um, it's probable that he was fired because his wife, at the time his first wife, was very politically connected, very oh, sure. high up. Her family was very powerful, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so there's all of those aspects to it. But after he was fired and after he passed away, there was a rumor that was started by another psychologist, James Vernon McConnell, who was born in 1925, who is known for his non-replicable research on memory transfer in planarians. That's a direct quote from the article I read about this, and I thought that was such a shady introduction <laughs> <laughs> to introduce someone as a non-replicable researcher he's a discredited psychologist who makes shit up so james vernon mcconnell born in 1925 so he was learning psychology as this study was huge and more recent and more relevant as a graduate student at the university of texas in the 40s mcconnell was convinced that Watson couldn't have just been fired because he was having an affair. That couldn't have been the reason. Okay. So McConnell claimed to have done research into it and found, quote-unquote, proof that Rayner and Watson were having an affair, were having sex in Watson's office, uh -huh. and that Watson was recording their physiological responses during sex in his office at Johns Hopkins. And that's the real reason why he was fired. It wasn't just because oh, they were having an affair. It was because yeah. Watson 
was using university equipment, university time, yeah. university money to measure himself having sex with his graduate student. She was 21. He was 42. She was his student. Everything is wrong in this situation. Yes. Also, he was recording himself. So before Kinsey, before all that. I was just going to um, say, what this is pointing out to me is that like, if he had just been, if he had not just wanted to torture babies, he could have actually been doing a lot of really groundbreaking research. Like he could have ethically, not with his grad student. In consenting adults. Yes. yes. In like fully informed, yes. fully consenting adults. He, he could have actually been doing some interesting sex studies. Yeah. Decades before Kinsey. Like, mm-hmm. it, it, and, and it seems like he, he's got a, he's got this sort of theoretical apparatus that while woefully underdeveloped and wildly misapplied in the little Albert study, you know, he could have done something interesting with, if he had used it responsibly with people who were able to consent to participation. So he could have actually done all this good research, but just refused to because yeah, what he, he <laughs> likes torturing babies. Like. Because then Freud would win if he didn't do the research, Martin. Freud would win. So McConnell became a non-replicable researcher. He published a textbook in psychology that went through edition after edition after edition after edition. Oh, my God. And there was another researcher who was like, where did this come from? Yeah. Where did this claim that Watson was measuring himself having sex come from? Oh. There's no evidence for it. Oh. Where did this come from? And it came out that most likely James Vernon McConnell just decided that this is what happened, <laughs> put it in the psychology textbook that he himself was writing. It made it through edition after edition after edition after edition after edition until somebody finally said, where is any evidence for this? There's no evidence that this is what happened. Oh, no. And it got finally removed from the textbook. So this probably didn't happen. Oh, Okay. It's a fake sex scandal. It's a scandal that was made up just for fun because one guy, James Vernon McConnell, couldn't fathom that Watson would receive consequences for his behavior. Right. Right. And had to decide that there was another factor to it, obviously. Uh. But... In support of what James Vernon McConnell was saying, there was a historian who was working on documenting Watson himself and his research. Okay. And uh, the historian John Burnham said, quote, each time I tried to find out about his work in psychology, dot, 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 what I heard about instead was some women with whom he supposedly went to bed. So Rayner died very young. She died when she was 37 from uh, diphtheria oh. from bad fruit, uh. and he Watson never got remarried after that. So he lived in New York. He was an advertising executive. He had a lot of money, and he liked to uh, have sex with a lot of women yeah. a lot of the time. Yep. He didn't like to raise his children. Of course, <laughs> why would you do that? <laughs> um, and yeah, that, that's that's his that's his study. That's his life. That's what he did. That is. So much worse than... Yeah, that's... I should have taken pictures of my face as I discovered each new facet, right. and then we could have made a direct chart of, <laughs> oh my God, oh holy shit, what the fuck, oh holy shit, what the fuck, like it's, just the... It seems like a more rigorous study than the one Watson did here, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> These nine pictures of my face provide better, more credible evidence of... 
something than anything Watson and Rayner did. That, mm-hmm. And then, yeah, as you're saying, that McConnell story then, too, just makes it seem like all of psychology before, like, the 1960s seems to just be one continuous case of reviewer two asleep at the wheel. Because, <laughs> like, anyone doing any kind of diligence would have thrown this study out, would have called, you know, BS on McConnell, would have just, like... Well, I think what happened with McConnell is that he wrote his own textbook, so if you write your own textbook, you can put whatever the fuck you want in a textbook. Textbooks don't have to be peer-reviewed. You can just say, McConnell textbook of psychology, the world according to McConnell. And you just say what you want the world to be, and then that's what it is. Well, not anymore. I mean, now the state of Texas or Florida can just reject it. What yeah. I'm saying is that I support the theocracy of the state of Florida because it's oh, good for God. us. <laughs> This is so bad that it's making me pine for the theocratic oppression of, of <laughs> was, it, was it Steve DeSantis? I can't remember his name. Uh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> all right. So is, that, is that all we have with this study? That's all we have. Uh, little Albert, like I said, might have died at six years old or he might have gone on and lived an anonymous life and no one knew or right. could find him ever again. In the early 2000s, the BBC did a documentary where they tried to find little Albert and it ended with a very emotional shot of a researcher standing on the grave of who they claim was little Albert, little Albert. Okay. Um, but there's controversy of, like I said, if that was actually him or if it was uh, not able to be found. Yeah. Mm. Well, let's, I, I think I'm happier if they did never find him. Just leave, I agree. leave that kid yeah. alone. So what do you think? What do you think about the birth of behavior? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, okay, so honestly, I've, had, I, I've been kicking around this idea that I, need, that I want to uh, write something about behaviorism and its implication in a, a number of kind of terrible things, um, but largely stemming from the work that B.F. Skinner does. So Skinner is kind of a ge- the next yes. generation. Skinner becomes, uh, he's the name that's associated with behaviorism, right? And so any, yes. anytime you take a class in behaviorism, the instructor will, will relish asking you who, you know, who founded behaviorism and laughing at all the students who say Skinner because Watson is the right answer, right? This is, this is part of the ritual. Mm-hmm. And, and like, you know, the stuff that came out of Skinner also led well pavlov was also before watson so i guess it depends on like condition responses was pavlov right. behaviorism at, right exactly yeah because well, we, because because pavlov didn't have this kind of overarching theory um right. of behaviorism he but he was yes he was an earlier conditioning researcher uh is my recollection again from yes. <laughs> 20 years ago so um but but yeah, you know, I, I, there's all sorts of bad outcomes of of, of Skinner, uh, depending upon how far you want to go with it, ranging to. It, it, so, so I have a number of friends who do this kind of uh, science studies uh, research, and they'll attribute things like the the contemporary command and control structure that you know that 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 governs the U.S. military and things like that, and the way that we do agriculture, right, as outgrowths of. Uh, the behaviorist mindset that we've never quite gotten out of, but that's all attributed to mm. Skinner. And so like, I was just willing to believe that Watson was this guy who had an idea that Skinner and actually even more Skinner's descendants picked up and did all this weird stuff with, but it turns out it was, <laughs> it was, it was rotten from the beginning. Um, this yes. is nightmarish. It's not even good research. No. It's, it, 
It's not even good research that was done that we couldn't do now. It's research that you would be like fired, run out of town if you proposed. Right doing this you couldn't even propose it you shouldn't propose it because it's bad again as you're saying even if you proposed it as like a not using humans we're we're, we're doing this as a as a as a computer model even if you did that you'd be laughed out because it is just it is badly designed here's a question that i now have do you think that someone has tried to do the little albert study in The Sims. <laughs> Undoubtedly. I, I guarantee that if you wanted to, you could, you could find 9,000 hours of YouTube videos of it right now. <laughs> there, there is no doubt in my mind that people are, doing all, are replicating all kinds of, of, of psychological experiments on The Sims. Do you think that The Sims is programmed for generalized fear response? Ooh. Were the, That's... Are The Sims coded... Yeah. From, from a from a, a behaviorist paradigm. Oh, I wonder. Yeah. I wonder. I, I, that I'm legitimately You have to curious. start a YouTube channel I, where you play The Sims. <laughs> <laughs> this would be a much more reputable study than any garbage that Watson <laughs> did. Johns Hopkins should give me a big raise to do that. Because, <laughs> yeah, because it'll be a better study and I won't be abusing anyone, either my, my participants or my research assistants. I want to know how many psychologists programmed The Sims and what their fundamental so, like, if you met them I am, and you said, hi, I'm a Jungian, what are you? What would they say? <laughs> I am 100% curious about back. that, too. I, I am... Oh, my God. I, I want to know that more than I want to know anything right now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll call him up. Let's get him on the Let's phone. The- <laughs> it, there has to be psychologists who program The Sims, 100%. Now, here, here's the other possibility. Because one of the things that um, the behaviorists during my undergrad program would say is they would declare themselves, quote, um, atheoretical. Mm. They, they, so that's bullshit. They were saying bullshit to you. 100%. This, this one psychometrics instructor was, was the only one who would admit that, like, no, this is all deeply theoretical. And the theory is the most, you know, the most fantastical part of all of this, right? Mm-hmm. Which is both, both means that it is, you know, you can poke holes in it all day. Um, it, it's fundamental, but also it's the most interesting part and the most important part is the theoretical framework. But these mm-hmm. behaviorists saw themselves as just base empiricists. We are just observing what happens in the world and reporting on it. And so I would imagine that that transfers very nicely to to things like coding, where you're like, nah, I, I, there's, there's no agenda here. It's just code. Oh, God. Yeah. I have such a bias against anyone who tells me that we're removing bias from our experiments yeah. by coding them, by uh, using big data on them, by building yeah. algorithms against them. It's been shown so many yeah. times that algorithms just bake in the biases that we already have. Yeah. And anyone who tells me, oh, I'm doing empirical work, I'm using this algorithm, yeah. I'm like, oh, I don't trust <laughs> a single other thing that you're about to say to me because you obviously have no self-awareness as to what you are doing. Exactly. I will bet you a shiny nickel that that, that is the sort of thing that, that, yeah, people who code things like The Sims or basically any other kind of rudimentary um, or even complex AI are doing is that they are baking in all kinds of theoretical assumptions about psychology that they are dismissing as a theoretical. Um, 
Again, I can't prove it, but this is just my speculation based on my experience in psychology. And I will know. I believe your speculation 100%. <laughs> I will peer review the paper that you write about this and say most brilliant paper ever in the world. A plus. Will you also talk about how, how brilliant and handsome I am so that I can. <laughs> So I can be cool like John Watson. Uh, Are you trying to overthrow Freud or overthrow Watson? Like, who's your target? I mean, here? both. Obviously, I, I I can take them both okay. on. I am I am I am okay. <laughs> uh, the three-headed Hydra: yeah. Freud, Watson, and Doctor. <laughs> L- <laughs> That's it. That's me. That 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 will be my legacy. Um, <laughs> So we did it. We learned everything. We learned all about Little Albert and the 1920 origin of behaviorism. Oh, terrific. Well, I'm glad I didn't have to read it. I hope that you did. <laughs> <laughs> so in the next episode, we will be reading the social isolation studies of Harry Harlow. They're known as the wire mother studies, the monkey mother studies, the wire monkey mother studies. Um, probably you've seen a horrifying image of yeah. tiny monkey babies clinging to a yep. wire mother, and he was yep. in Wisconsin in the fifties. So that's what was that's what was going on in the upper Midwest: just chaos, confusion, <laughs> madness, and psychology, and psychology. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so jo- join us next week for for Chaos, Confusion, Madness, and Psychology, the podcast. <laughs>